Hey there, everybody. Uh, Kevin O'Connell here. Thank you so much for clicking and checking out this podcast. I really don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, this was a special Gen Z panel discussion that I was invited to on January 24th, 2018. So for many of you listening, um, probably not too long ago based on when we, we released this. Um, but this was for the Division of Student Affairs. So there were probably about 70 or so colleagues here for professional development opportunity. And uh, this was put on by uh, Robert Snyder. He was the executive director of outreach for GW Student Affairs. So he will be the first one that you kind of, you may hear introduced, although uh, this was not professionally recorded. It was recorded on my iPhone because I thought this would be a great um, benefit for you guys, uh, whether you're in higher ed or outside higher ed or just curious about this Gen Z demographic. Um, so I recorded on my iPhone, so I tried to position it as people that spoke on the panel. I was in the middle, so that was a little bit of a benefit. Um, but he's the one that's going to be kicking it off. I was personally invited by Jenny Whitlock, uh, a current colleague and an external instructor with me at GW Business School, but she's a graduate fellow within the Student Affairs Division. Uh, and then the first person you'll, we'll kick it over to for the first couple questions here uh, is Michael McKenzie. He's the Director of Career Services at GW. The next one that you'll hear from is Renee Kashwalik. She's a center, uh, she works for a center of student engagement, again at GW. Uh, then there's yours truly in the middle. Uh, and then next to me was Murphy Miller. He's the assistant director of undergraduate admissions, specifically overseeing tours and visits of parents and, and potential students. And then last but not least on the far, my far left was Kendra Scott. She is, uh, works in student support and family engagement. So we kind of go down that line. And then I think the next session we start with Kendra and come back. So that just might help you there in case you were trying to get some context of who's in the audience. Um, again, I'm sharing this because uh, this is such a, you know, millennials is such a big talked about audience, but I think Gen Z is, is on the horizon, if not already, especially for um, higher education professionals. But there was some good anecdotes that I thought I tried to bring as the only one not traditionally working at GW as well as being out of hired for the last four years, um, things along the lines of let's have G a, a, a Gen Z student at the table uh, that should be kind of sharing their perspective. Uh, a lot of talk on the positive and negative of, of the future of communication, future of work, uh, and what these students actually want. Uh, and it really sparked some more motivation for me to talk about this. And, and I think what you'll see come down the road here in 2018 is an event around this and, and some other content. So I really hope you enjoy. Without further ado, we're going to get right into it. Uh, so enjoy, and we'll talk soon, and take care. I'm Robert Snyder. I'm the Executive Director of Planning and Outreach for the division, and I also chair our Division of Student Affairs Professional Development and team building committee. So we're especially excited to come together for our forum today. Then we're gonna have our Generation Z panel discussion and we have a distinguished panel gathered today uh, to talk through a, a topic that's of importance to our work. Um, our Deputy Provost, Terry Murphy, to whom the division is reporting on the interim basis, will be joining us about midway through and then she'll be taking some questions and answers. So let's start with our panel. Um, Today's focus is on Generation Z. Um, the way we came up with this topic was actually, it was identified on our beginning of the year survey where we asked division staff what topics they'd like to learn about. So this was actually something that our, our colleagues uh, identified as something they wanted to know more about and we carried that forward from the Professional Development and Team Building Committee. Um, I actually like this topic because I think it builds on the exploration of generational uh, differences in the workplace last year. Um, last year we looked at baby boomers, Generation X, and millennials. Um, so now we fast forward today where we're going to actually look at Generation Z. And I think this is really important to our work uh, since many of our uh, focus on undergraduate students. We are now seeing Generation Z on our campuses. 
Um, technically, Generation Z is anyone born 1995 and onward, although as you know, if you follow generations, those years are debatable, um, but we know that we have Generation Z students on our campuses now. Um, so what we're gonna do today is actually focus on perspectives around Generation Z from those who work in a number of areas, both within the Division of Student Affairs and beyond to elevate all of our knowledge um, and how we work with this generation and their families. Um, I'm not gonna say that we have a, a panel of experts, nor experts in the room, but rather people who are gonna share their perspectives with you and have an opportunity to have a conversation. And I encourage you to share your expertise as well on this topic. So what I'd like to do is go down the line and ask our panelists to introduce themselves. Uh, Michael McKinsey, Managing Director for Career Learning and Experience. Renee Kishalik, Assistant Director with Residential Engagement, and I use the pronoun she, her, and hers. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, uh, worked in higher for about 12 years, left three or four years ago, so I'm coming a little bit from an outsized perspective, but uh, I am the owner of FY and Creative. Morning, y'all. I'm Murphy Miller. I'm a senior assistant director in the undergraduate office of admission. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kendra Scott. I'm a coordinator in the Office of Student Support and Family Engagement. And my primary role is overseeing the student orientation program, CI. Great. So we have some questions that the committee identified for our panelists. So I'm going to start with those. However, I'm going to pause throughout just in case there are any questions from the audience. So if you have something, please raise your hand. Um, or certainly if you're on the phone, let us know you're on the phone and ready to ask a question. Um, but otherwise, we'll keep going and we'll let our panelists kind of offer their perspectives. And again, we'd love to have a conversation about this important topic. Um, so let's start with a general question. In working with Generation Z students, what are some trends and patterns that you've noticed? Um, and also, do you see any helpful or hurtful habits of um, Generation Z students that have affected your, their assimilation to campus? We'd love you to comment on that as well. And I'll just open it up to the panel, whoever would like to start. <laughs> so I, I will admit when I look at, uh, get information about Generation Z or generations in general, I'm a little skeptical because I think there's a lot of generalizations that go with that, especially with our uh, student population. I think about the international aspect, think about the socioeconomic background that each, and we all know this with student development, each student is different. So you, you're always constantly trying to understand the student. However, the broader I, the concepts of what they have lived with all of their life um, is important, and that's the digital aspect, they're always on their phones. However, I see plenty of parents still trying to collect their newspapers. <laughs> when I'm in a swimming lesson with my kids, um, we have them seeing it, they've seen a, an African-American president, um, for those that are US, but known globally. Um, they have seen a generation constantly in the news about a difficult economy. So it is on their mind and entrepreneurs and people trying to get by. Um, so all these concepts, when we look at it a lot of times, um, we're trying to understand the student and the concepts of the jobs where they're gonna go. And interestingly, we have the National Association of uh, Colleges and Employers uh, meeting in December. And they talked about some of the research that they're seeing in students. And I wanna do it in concept to what I just said. One is the thing that they looked at is um, that NACE research of employers of choice, what students are looking for. And they want an opportunity to develop skills. And I think that's a positive thing we've seen in research is self-directed learning is something people like and that's something we wanna encourage. They can build, they can get an app, they can find, they can find whatever they wanna learn about. And so being able to feed that, but directing that is important. 
Second, that they would look for an employer was performance recognition. They like to be recognized for what they do, which is somewhat of the independence that we see. Um, and they like clearly defined assignments, which would seem to say, I don't know exactly where that goes, but those are the top three. However, when you look at what um, the student preferences are in what they look at in job, number one was personal growth again. So the more we're encouraging them to grow and learn, however, how directive that is really makes a difference. The second was interesting, and the second was job security which would surprise many of us. And that's, I think, you know, we talk about entrepreneurialism and they all come, <laughs> you're gonna talk, probably talk about that, is that they see that, but that security, they've seen the pain of that. Uh, many people have seen the pain of that in society, so I think they're well aware when they go into the job market what they want, and they want good benefits. It's also an interesting aspect, they like that security both in the job and the benefits. So, um, I'm gonna leave it at that. I think part of the lens that I'm going to bring is um, building the communities within our, our, our residence halls um, and looking at the dynamic and role that um, differences between Gen X and um, the millennial students. I think looking at the role of parents um, with millennials, we, we heard terms like helicopter parents. In looking at this generation, we have co-pilots and that expectation that they're not only involved but they are truly invested and consulted in decision-making, whether that's by the student or that the expectation that we as staff and faculty are reaching out and getting their buy-in just the same. Um, I think when we look at uh, the, the aspect of the economy, what they grew up with, the, the role that finances, um, we, we know with the success of the store on campus that food security is a real issue for our students. And that realistic belief that I know college is the path to my success, but I'm not naive to think I'm guaranteed that, that money-making job at the end. So the, the knowledge and the awareness that I need a college degree, but that might not be enough to get where I want. And that fear of that debt leads this generation to be a little more fiscally conservative. And we see that in some of the decisions um, that, that we're making within the residential communities, whereas before, we would talk about, well, an RA program, you don't just throw food at it because that's easy and we're challenged to think more. Actually, we are using food as a way because we know that's a, that's a need that our students are asking for um, because sometimes that, that where's that next meal coming from is something that is truly a challenge for some of our students. I think when we think about learning um, in our community spaces, the idea of social learning, not wanting everything to be defined by group work, but independent work that leads to group projects is something we see in the classroom. But how we're, we're noticing that within the community spaces is that desire to be working alongside of people, that we wanna be in a room together for that social as aspect, but we're gonna be doing our independent learning. But the idea of having space to really be studying and working together, even though we're doing independent projects with our headphones in, but it just feels better and is motivated motivating to be next to people. And then I think the other piece is the role of technology and where we're most communi um, most comfortable communicating. The ideal means of communication and the most comfortable is via text. So we're seeing that constantly in our roommate conflicts and, and as, as students are struggling interpersonally that everything is through text. Well, look at my text, read my text. No, how about we sit down and have a conversation together face to face and that's a little awkward and sometimes it is referenced back to 
well, this is what happened in the text conversation. So I think those are a couple examples um, from the residential lens. The per perspective I'd like to kind of go is, is kind of where Michael started is, I think postgraduate, some, some things that I'm seeing and colleagues that I talk to is, you know, starting in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, we teach them what they have to do to get an A, what they need to do to get 100, what do they need to do to go to second grade, third grade, you know, what, what degree do you need to major in to, you know, to then graduate. And I think um, they do want that personal growth. I, I do think Generation Z, they're very unique. They will work very hard, especially when they're passionate about something. Um, but I think when they get into the real world, all of a sudden they say, okay, boss, what do I have to do to get, to get promoted? Or what do I have to do to become an assistant director? And it's not necessarily black and white. And it's not necessarily a clear cut of like what that path is. And I think those that get put the blinders on and say, this is exactly what I have to do the next two years, three years, four years, I think that's when they miss some career opportunities and saying yes to things they should be, saying no to things they shouldn't be. And it's, it's kind of Sheryl Sandberg's analogy, I believe she used in her book, is, is you know, career is like a jungle gym. You sway back and forth, you go up, you go down, you fall, you get hurt. And I think uh, traditional education teaches us like, just do this, you'll get by, you'll go to the next rank. And that's not really how I think the, uh, the real world is. And I think that's something we need to help students recognize that you can force yourself, you can push your comfort zone, you can have a little tenacity, as well as being professionally tactful in, in meetings, and especially giving Gen Z a, a, a seat at the table. You know, I look at a panel like this, I think the, the, the one way we could kick this up a notch is let's get one or two people that are Gen Z in the room and give them a voice, because I think when we treat them like an adult, they will have that same respect back. So that's my perspective. Moving backwards a bit in terms of the student life cycle to the admissions process, um, we definitely noticed a huge shift between um, folks that were here on campus visiting GW who are millennials and folks who are here now who are Generation Z or the Homeland Generation. Uh, we definitely see um, almost an obsession with safety and security uh, when they are going through their campus tour and when they're asking questions of our admissions staff. Um, and, and again, I think a lot of this comes from things that colleagues have already talked about. Um, but essentially, this is a generation that, um, since they've been conscious, essentially, we've almost always been at war. And so I think that that, that idea of safety and security has, has a deeper meaning for them. Um, and additionally, to Michael's point, uh, talking a little bit about that, them seeing what their parents have gone through in terms of uh, a number of different uh, economical uh, issues. Um, and so safety and security from that, from that standpoint as well. We definitely see that entrepreneurial spirit, though. Um, I will say that when we're reviewing applications for admissions here, uh, definitely seeing a, an uptick in the number of students who have, you know, they're linking us to their Instagram account because they've started their own shoe company, um, or they're linking us to their, you know, when Vine used to exist, to their Vines uh, to show us videos about um, the art that they do that they're selling. Um, I read an application just left yesterday for a student who's doing microfinancing in, in India. Um, so these really incredible um, experiences that they're having at a, at a very young age. So that entrepreneurial spirit is very much alive and well uh, with this generation as well. Um, from sort, sort of the visit perspective, I manage our, our visit program here um, at GW. So if you have your door tour guide saying something wrong, I'm, I'm definitely the guy to turn to. Um, probably shouldn't have invited that. Um, so we're, we're having a bit of an issue keeping them engaged. Uh, they do like to multitask. They can be um, you know, texting with their friend, taking a selfie, and ignoring their parents all at the same time. Um, it's quite, quite a feat. And so we're talking about ways to um, make the campus tour more engaging. Uh, we're thinking about doing sort of 
what we call a Big Mac model. So rather than doing a 30-minute information session and then an hour-long Canvas tour, sort of staggering the times in which we're together sitting in a room having a conversation and the times that we're out on campus experiencing the facilities um, to, to try and kind of keep that engagement alive throughout the campus visit experience. Um, so there's a lot that we're noticing as it relates to Generation Z um, on the admission side of things. And obviously very important because many of these students will end up being here working working with you all. Well, since I'm last, um, from an orientation perspective, I sort of ditto everything that has come down this way. I'd also say a lot of what Murphy said and a lot of what we sort of uh, work with or anticipate with our students. I would add a couple of things in that. Um, I do think very much so that our students are look at us to say, how does this benefit me personally? And so I know that there's that definite, and I think we've all experienced that in this room, that they wanna know how they get there. This is the job they want, tell me how to get there. So sometimes it's not that easy. So I think that we definitely see that when coming in with orientation with some of our pre-med and pre-law students. They're very ambitious. They have a lot of hopes and dreams, which is really awesome to see when they come into orientation. We hope to harness that and also help them find a better way to get to that goal. I'd also say, um, you know, we see a lot of our, more of our students who are first generation identify as first generation and be proud of that, which I think is really cool. Um, and I do think that's something we are working towards. How do we help those students who may not have the additional resources or understanding and support from folks or relatives that have been in college? You know, how are we standing up for them and helping and supporting them as well? So those would be the couple of things I'd add. Well, great. I think that was a good start to our discussion, and I heard quite a bit. I think I would start with what Michael said is, you know, making sure we focused on their lived experience to think about the individual stories and experiences our students bring to campus, um, and then working from there. Although there are some themes that I was hearing, things about sort of a healthy, healthy skepticism, what does this bring to me, a focus on the future um, with career skills and entrepreneurship, um, the changing in communication preferences. Um, I'm intrigued by this the shift of texting and then also the multitasking that we've seen quite a bit as well. Um, and then also the desire to build community, but also be independent at the same time, which certainly presents, I think, some interesting challenges and opportunities for our work. Let me pause for a moment and see if there are any questions either from the group on the phone or in the room um, before we move on with some of our stated questions. Yeah, Renette, um, I'm sorry, not Renette, Emily. Um, <laughs> so when we're thinking about uh, this upcoming and new generation, we're seeing sort of the, the first wave of um, Gen Z students. Um, could those of you who, who spent some time with the millennial population as well speak to maybe some of the differences you see between the two? Because um, from my personal vantage point, which is limited at best, it, it seems that there are many overlapping um, things between the two generations. Love to know if there are any distinctions you see between the two so that we can better serve the um, upcoming student population. Great question, Emily, and especially because that's also on our list to talk about. So you covered it well. Um, yeah, I don't know if we want to go down the line or if we want a popcorn, but I was going to suggest if we go down the line that we start with Kendra to sort of give her the first shot at it. I would just say the one thing I would add, the digital aspect um, is definitely different. Um, I would say that uh, being a millennial myself, you know, not having necessarily grown up with internet or high-speed internet or Wi-Fi where I didn't have to wait for the AOL to connect, you know, <laughs> I think that um, our students now, is it just me? Our students now know that they can, you know, they look for the hotspots, they look for the wireless, they're constantly on three different social media platforms. I can barely keep up with Facebook, let alone Twitter. 
So I think there is some of that differences is that the use of the digital media is ex like huge jump as to trying to engage our students. Like if you can get them off Snapchat for five minutes, maybe they'll listen to us. So I would say that that would be the one thing in particular that sticks out to me. I think uh, along those same lines, I think um, this generation more so than millennials are definitely looking for that instant gratification. And that's something that we've experienced in, in the college admissions process. Um, they want it and they want it right away. Um, if their application isn't marked as complete the very second they submit it, uh, they send a flurry of emails our way, uh, wondering why it's not all together, um, which is really fun. Um, and so I, I think, I, I think that, that is definitely a, a difference. Um, there's also research that shows that um, Generation Z, the Homeland Generation, is a little bit less optimistic, um, a little bit more, as we've talked about, a little bit more skeptical than the Millennial Generation, which is known to be super idealistic and um, very sort of community-oriented as well. So I think that there are those definite differences. Uh, one distinction that I see is, uh, you know, as student affairs colleagues, higher education colleagues, you know, we put so much emphasis on uh, the quality of our services and programs needs to be the best it can be, the, 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 you know, the most theoretical, practical of what we've learned in the last 10, 20, 30 years of, of education. And I think, yes, we, we, it's already been brought up, phones and social media and digital communication is just part of this generation, so we got to, like, embrace it. Because we put an emphasis on high quality programs and services, our, I think our digital, whatever, communication, social media services needs to be just as high quality, uh, and we need to embrace that. And, and what I would say is, yes, they want instant gratification, they want instant communication. I think we need to be more transparent, we need to be more on top of it, and we need to not necessarily put the burden on the end user. So not creating more not, uh, steps uh, that are not necessary so they can kind of get so there's a, a, remove a layer of digital or tech, technological um, you know, practice so they can get what they need and get in and get out and not put the burden on them. I recognize I'm a person that's driven very much by data. Um, so a couple of differences for me, um, I'm gonna go to some, some research. Um, every year uh, from the SERP data, a report is generated, the American College freshman. Um, so referencing some data from there as well as a really good read um, Gen X Goes to College um, was published uh, in 2016. It's a pretty fast read, but some of the, the stats I'm going to share here are from those two bodies. Um, to the point about um, kind of that less, less optimistic than millennials, um, just some, some stats of that is when asked the question about are you optimistic about your personal, um, your personal future, 60% of Gen X identify with that statement. Um, which is down from the 89% of millennial students. Um, when also looking at that uh, connection to um, religion or spirituality, um, when looking at the Gen X, 41% of Gen, um, I'm sorry, Gen Z, and I said Gen X earlier, so my apologies, um, but Gen Z students um, will identify with being either religious or spiritual, um, which is up from 18% of millennials 21% of Gen X, and 26% of Boomers. Um, so just looking at that, that place of living in times where defined by disaster and tragedies around almost every corner, being at war, different things that the role that faith is playing and part of that social atmosphere. Um, in looking at kind of political 
um, in the role of financial, um, where the millennial generation um, was noted as one of the, the most optimistic, the most ideal, the most liberal, both uh, socially as well as fiscally. We're seeing a lot more socially where it is identified as um, social or being socially conservative or liberal while being extremely financial cons- or financially conservative. And a lot of that is watching and viewing some of the things that their parents have gone through and looking at role models in that role of the parent um, that uh, Generation Z identifies um, their, their top or most desired role model um, to be their parents at 69%, um, whereas millennials identified 54% of being that, that person being their parent and parent being a very um, large term in regards to who they identify as that core person in their upbringing. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but I was listening to an, uh, a segment on NPR recently, and they're talking about how high school students are partying less. What? <laughs> and I think when I listen to it, is they are really actually going going to parties and socializing in person less. But it's interesting when you talked about them multitasking, they don't. There's and I think this when you look at they can't not distinguish between communicating and building relationships online versus in person, um, which can create somewhat of a conflict at times. As we see, look at these texts because their social environment they have. They're very skeptical and careful about the relationships they built on campus because they, or I mean online, because they've been burnt. They're the ones that are bullied online. They're the ones that have seen a lot of this. And in my mind, that kind of lit a light. You don't have to be there all the time in person to build relationships, but you can see the disjoint when you're going to go to work and walk in the door and have to build relationships and talk to people and that interchange. And we see that actually in some of the research with the, again, um, some NACE research where they looked at how employers were looking at their skill sets around um, specific professional competencies and what the students, and they overvalued themselves, especially in communication. They were like, oh, my communication skills are great, because they look at it so differently, how it's intertwined. Professionalism was another one where they were, it was a real disjoint, and that is a generational disjoint, because they feel, oh, this is fine, this is the way people relate, and it's just not the way they relate, the flexibility that they have. So I think, what were um, two things, and it's been brought up, is long-term thinking. Um, one thing we have to help educate is that long-term thinking of how developing particular skills and skill sets will serve them, not just in the short-term, long-term of the challenges of it. And I know that I see all these articles online now about in Silicon Valley from the young generation about the quietness of the mind, about being self, the frenetic, pace at which they live, actually they can rely upon the other generations to kind of step back a little bit. And I think they benefit from doing that. They look for that in a certain sense. And if there's anything that's going to bridge some of those generational gaps is for us to understand that those ways of communication are not always different, (laughs) that those relationships are built in both ways in the way we work, and that also to rely upon them how important it is to kind of slow yourself down on occasion and just really reflect on what that long-term goal is and how you I want to make a comment that since we uh, had a nice plug from Renee for Generation Z Goes to College, one of the takeaways that the Professional Development Team Building Committee is going to provide us in this forum is actually a crowdsourced resource list. Um, so as a follow-up to the forum, you'll be getting an email and it'll be linking to a Google Doc. 
we encourage you to put those resources on there so we can learn and share from each other. I saw a hand in the back, so go for it. Um, so I hear a lot about what we can be doing to help Generation Z and the kind of uh, certain traits and things that we need to be looking out for to adjust our delivery of content, right? So something that's continuously come up is this fluency in communication, digital, etc. And I'm wondering, any ideas from the panel on potentially bridging the gap between how Gen Z could influence us and how we're engaging them in developing those programs so they are you know being peer leaders and and we are sort of taking that into account because i think it, i think it'd be fair to say some people very easily dismiss digital communication because uh, it's not necessarily what we're accustomed to and what we're native to so anyway just i have some ideas wondering if you know one thing i like and i touched on this is trust factor online. Um, our assumption is we just put it out there and they're gonna trust it and we didn't come to it. Um, really learning from them, and we see this in our politics and everything else. Uh, they are pretty savvy at picking up when you're playing, playing them and what they're putting out there. Because they've been played before online and digitally. And actually listening to them and learning what, how you create genuine relationships with people online. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I mean, we can, but it is is very different. I think we can do a lot, and just being conscious about what we're seeing and what we're reading, which I think we all need to learn a little bit about how to be a bit more savvy. I think one of the things that come to mind for me is um, I remember uh, just post grad school for me having a conversation about okay, well, if you have a Facebook account, what are you going to think about? What you have out there, what you as a professional are putting out there to be consumed by your students. Are you going to like? Are you going to friend your students? And that was very much part of the, the narrative for me leaving grad school and thinking about how I started my career. Uh, a lot of times on, on college campuses, um, we see staff and faculty have an account, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram, and they set it up to be that account for that campus. It might not be their personal, but one of the things to to the point about they can see through things. Our students are asking for us, and I think particularly this generation. They want to engage and have meaningful connections with the peers and with the individuals that are providing them services. And I, I say with peers as well, because they see the opportunity to learn in their peer educators, in their roommates, but then also that standard, if, if I can learn from my peer, I want to be able to learn from these people with titles and authority, but for me to see them as valuable to engage with, I want to be able to do my research on them. And a LinkedIn account is not enough. They want to see the, the full you, the vulnerable you, the whatever that is for you, whether that's on Facebook, whether it is on Instagram or Snapchat, they want to be able to, to see that you're human. And, and, and what does that look like, that you do things outside of work? And kind of the same way that that elementary school teacher, when they run into your te the, the social studies teacher in the grocery store, you go to the grocery store too? It, it's so simple, but they want to see that aspect of us as, as people that they've been told to look up to and that can provide resources. So I think that's one thing to, to challenge ourselves about, are we engaging in their world and letting them have access to the, some of the information that deems us credible and, and credentialed in their eyes to be able to give them insight on life. They wanna see how we're living it. 
Uh, I'm curious, who's been to a conference in like the last two years? Who's met somebody at that conference that they've stayed connected with in some form of digital communication? And you have a relationship, right? And I think, um, I see, I'm 34. I moved away from my hometown three and a half years ago. And everybody from my cousins to my former colleagues to my best friends, we have the same exact relationship, if not deeper, because of digital communication. And I think that's the one thing we, we continue to recognize with this generation is they move away from home. They have that same connection with their best friends from high school, their brothers and sisters, their parents. And um, you know, sending a heart emoji or, or sending a selfie of what they did this weekend or using LinkedIn professionally, I think that same depth of relationship building can be utilized. And I think it's understanding that we can continue to get a greater understanding understanding of a context of a relationship it's just not face-to-face but bridging that relationship of meeting somebody face-to-face at a conference and staying in touch with them and then maybe you see them a year later uh, it's, it's an evolution of, of building a relationship as we hand it over to Murphy I'm, as we continue Amanda just a good question about how are we engaging them Murphy if you could also talk a little bit about this point about research and people doing their homework and what you're maybe seeing from prospective students and their families because I know in looking at the render research we've seen a little bit of a shift there too mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the only thing I was going to add to the previous point was just uh, that I'm I'm glad that the this generation is challenging us. I, I'm I'm glad that they're making us think a little bit more critically about our practices and the way that we're engaging. Um, I think at least in the admissions world, there's been a bit of a sort of status quo in terms of how things have been done, um, sort of a rinse and repeat cycle. And and I think it's exciting for us to be doing things a little bit differently, um, building more customizable visit experiences, building a more transparent admissions process, um, having a little bit more heart in what we do rather than being uh, gatekeepers. So I think um, I think that's, that's actually exciting. Um, and we try not to look at them as a pain, but really as an opportunity to, to develop and become better versions of, of ourselves. Um, their parents are a different story. That's for another panel, but um, uh, we think that they're great. So um, in terms of research, um, we recognize that that these folks can kind of, kind of find information absolutely everywhere, um, and so that um, can be a little bit scary uh, because sometimes that information isn't totally true. Um, but they are sourcing information everywhere they can get it, um, and and that means that they're coming to campus with um, much more sort of a preconceived notions about who we are as an institution and what we're able to offer them as a community. Um, And so um, a lot of the work that we're doing is um, sort of trying to anticipate what they could be looking for, what what thoughts they might have about us and being able to address those really directly um, rather than sort of sweeping things under under the rug, really being open and upfront and honest um, and having very, you know, those very critical conversations here. Um, I'll also note that their their co-pilots, their parents, um, we call them um, self bombers Generation X, because um, they'll come into a tour, they'll ask a really inflammatory question, and then they'll run away. Um, they also don't like to, they don't like when we beat around the bush. They want really direct communication, and that's something that we're working really hard on as well. Um, some of you guys might know that we have this accelerated medical program here at GW, the BAMD program. Um, it's for those who have known that they wanted to be a doctor ever since they were delivered by one. Um, very, very in- intense uh, program, not for your casual Grey's Anatomy fan. Um, and we used to sort of beat around the bush and say, oh, you know, you guys are great. You have all, have all these great experiences. You should apply. Um, and that wasn't really resonating with our visitors. And so now we literally say, it has a 1% acceptance rate. 
and they actually appreciate that. I think they really like the fact that we're being open and honest and direct and genuine with them. Um, and, and honestly, they're gonna know anyway, because again, they've already done their research. They already know, you know what they're talking about. So hopefully that begins to answer the question a little bit. Andrew, do you wanna add anything? Okay. <laughs> we probably have time for one more question. Uh, so if you wanna take it. I just wanted, Katie, work in the Career Services Office. Um, I just wanted to make a comment based on everything I was just hearing with regard to um, wanting, needing to be more transparent, as you mentioned, and then students truly wanting to cultivate those relationships and wanting honesty and direct communication. Um, and I think those are all wonderful things and I've seen it in our students as well. Um, but I think something for us, a hurdle that we might have to jump over, and this is just my own perspective, is that if we're not practicing that um, between and amongst one another, our colleagues, then we truly can't provide it for the students. So it's something that maybe we can work on just in the office and with one another. Um, it does take practice, I think, because I think we have to be truly vulnerable. We share all sides of ourselves. Um, might first need to be something we work on just in our day-to-day -day work as well. So. An important reminder. Um, I'd like to wrap up the panel by asking uh, our panelists at least to talk a little bit about, based on what we've heard today, what they know about Generation Z, um, how they're actually applying some of this to their own work. What successful practices or tools have you used in your work or you're thinking about using, even if you're not there yet, um, to think about how do we work with Generation Z and their families? So Kendra, if you wanna. Yeah, so and from the orientation and transition perspective, it's something we think about probably all year round, but maybe just me. Um, we are in the process of reviewing applications for orientation leaders, so we're sort of starting that thinking process, and I'm in the midst of meeting with campus partners. And I think one thing in particular I realized is uh, we have to change our programming every year, right? So we have to be able to categorize, we have to be able to cater to the student that's coming in. We have to be able to figure out how we're gonna engage parents and ensure that they feel like they're getting the information um, just as much. Because as we talked about, the co-pilot is definitely a thing. They talk to their parents more than probably most of us talk to our folks or our guardians. Um, and that's simply because they're so connected. So one thing in particular with orientation, we want them to set off on the right foot. So we want them to have a good understanding of the realistic challenges and exciting opportunities that college brings. But there is a, a curve, you know, there is academic challenges. Um, so we try to be very honest and open with how you do need to change some of your behavior so that you can at least feel like you're doing a good job while you're here. And also knowing that you are gonna struggle a little bit. There may be some adjustment issues. It is very different, you're coming to a city. So we try to be as realistic as possible while also being optimistic. Whereas I think before orientation was sort of here to be flashy. And so that's something that over the last few years we've really tried hard to help our students better understand how to advocate for themselves and to share, um, you know, share what's bothering them and to learn how to ask for help and then to be able to use those resources and implement them while they're here at GW. So I would say that's sort of the baseline of what we try to do when they come in so that they're not surprised when they get to sophomore year and they're still struggling with some things. So we want them to be equipped with all of those resources and feel confident moving forward. A good reminder about the transparency discussion we had a few minutes ago. So I've already touched on a few things that the admissions office is doing just in terms of uh, adapting to this to this new generation and this new, new culture. Um, but definitely trying to make the um, admissions process much more personalized and customizable. 
Um, we are looking at creating sort of a shopping cart environment for our visit program where students can pick and choose different on-campus experiences um, based on their very personal preferences and, and interests. Um, this past fall, we piloted, piloted a, a fall preview day called GW Day, um, where students were actually able to go on um, uh, sort of uh, major specific or school specific campus tours. We sort of did it behind the scenes. Um, we had them pair up with the you know different groups, and then afterwards, it was funny to hear them talking about like, oh my gosh, everyone on my tour was interested in international affairs, just like me. And you're like, oh wow, what a coincidence. Um, so we're, we're trying to do things like that, and then a huge overhaul for our admitted student programming. I think many of you guys are already aware. Um, Inside GW is becoming much smaller, much more manageable, much more personalized to really ensure that we're able to be direct, have one-on-one -on -one conversations, and and demonstrate everything that GW can offer them as a very you know specific individual. So, just a few things. Uh, one of the things I didn't mention here, so I, I actually uh, teach a first-year leadership class here in the business school with Jenny, and uh, one of the things, a couple of things that they always want. I don't know if it's the GW students or business school students is they do want public speaking practice. They are they get nervous when they have to give a presentation, but they want more of it. They want more face-to-face -face interactions, more conflict, more uh, anything that kind of gets them out of their phone. But one of the things we make them do is we have them meet with our, we have a student mentor in the class. And uh, starting this week, they'll be meeting one-on-one -on -one for about 15 to 30 minutes with an upperclassman. And you know the thing I say is, yes, you, you do this to get, I think it's five points. And yes, we want to learn a bit more about you. But I say the one reason that you should attend this and, and embrace it is it teaches you actually how to like have a cup of coffee cross your legs, look at somebody, have a dialogue, ask questions, and, and they do get something out of that. And I think any way that we can create an environment where, where they can do that and, and get to become a president of an organization or get an internship where they have to give a presentation, they will feel a bit more comfortable and we won't have these discussions in the coming years where they're like, oh my God, I'm only glued to my phone. This is the only way I know how to communicate. Uh, so I think they do want this. We just have to give some more opportunities for them to, to practice. I think one of the things that, that pops for me is the, the dynamic and how roommate conflicts are, are occurring within our residential communities. And I think as we're, we've learned about just the evolving generations, we're, we're talking about a more globally aware, a more socially aware population of students. And I think some of the tensions of that within, within a, a, a residential living environment add in the role and the constant engagement with, with those co-pilot parents about just differences in, in lived experiences. Communication, not necessarily being direct and eye to eye, but via text, the opportunity for miscommunication or, or misreading that. Um, so I think in those pieces, um, the Center for Student Engagement within our residential engagement team, we've really been looking at how do we talk about roommate conflicts? What resources and training are we providing to the resident advisors, the resident directors, and then the area coordinators to really be able to shape and frame those discussions. Something that, that we're seeing a lot more right now is bullying within roommate conflicts where it's a matter of, well, I can put my feet down and hold still, but we're gonna get that person to move. And, and when we're looking into the research, it's really looking at um, directed intimidating behavior. And, and right now we're in the process of creating some guidelines and policies for that and then being able to have some online modules that are students self-guided about, I'm experiencing a roommate conflict. What are my options? What are resources? And what are some tips that I can see myself in this navigating from an empowerment place of how do I move forward? How can I communicate to get myself out of this situation so it doesn't have to 
escalate multiple times over. Um, three quick things. One is to kind of reflect on what everyone's talked about here to summarize is we've um, used NACE with uh, some career readiness competencies because students do want that direction. We want to understand how do these, what does communication mean in a professional workplace? And so we have that, we're trying to educate students on it. We want to look for more opportunities in which they understand communication means this here, means this in your personal life, academic, and then professionally and teaching in that. Uh, the second thing is um, we are uh, specifically partnering with student organizations more closely to on programs because they do rely upon their social networks. Um, you can put a lot of information out there to promote what we do, but they're gonna trust the people that they know and that's what's gonna get them to events and to programming and care about what they do. The last thing is, is we made a big change in our platform, our career platform, the handshake, which you know, <laughs> I'm a big promoter of, and I really think it, a lot of it has to do is it just, it operates the way students want to do it, no platform hidden. So look at your technology, make those changes that if it's old, it's not working, look for what works for them. Well, we're gonna wrap up the discussion and I think we've had a really good, robust conversation about how do we actually meet our students where they are and move them forward, which is sort of the core of my personal training in student development theory, um, and actually looking at perhaps where they're coming from, their lived experience, whether it's the skepticism, uh, the family engagement, the need for research, but also putting forward things like transparency, customization, skill building, especially around relationships, um, and then also looking long term and helping them to really succeed. So I think that that's all of our work. Um, and I'm really grateful for our panelists. Um, so let's actually wrap up. So what, what did you guys think? Uh, I'm very curious if you made it all the way to the end here. There, you know, there's four or five questions, a couple from the audience. What's your perspective? What, you, a lot of you, I'm assuming, work with Gen Z right now. Anybody born you know, 1995 or after? Uh, but I'm curious, what are your thoughts, resources, or perspectives on this this new generation that is going to be taking uh, society and colleges and our workforce by the storm over the next 5, 10, 15 years? Um, but please share any any insight you have. Feel free to email me, kevin at thenichemovement.com or at koco83 on Twitter or Instagram, uh, but I'd love to hear what you're what you're thinking about and what you'd love to add to this conversation because believe me, uh, we're going to keep this going um, uh, for years to come. So thanks again for listening. Uh, until next time, take care.